Welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show. Where once again, I'm joined by my co-host with the most, a man who this week has grown a moustache, from what I can see, in the in an effort to collect the girls. G. I don't know this moustache, this mullet. I can't grow the mullet though. No, the no, no. The moustache combo seems to be a winning one. I think I'm going to go the balding mullet and the flowing locks at the back, kind of like a junior Paulo without the front bit of the hair. Can and, I you know, can I make an moustache. AFL reference? A bit like Gary Ablett, late eighties. Actually, actually, yeah, that's a great idea. Then you can thereafter refer to me as God. I don't think so, G. I don't think no. so. Okay, but I'm good. How are you? I'm. I've had a. I've had better weeks. I'm coming to you from COVID Central. A few family members with COVID. All right. It's another massive week of news. Oh my god, I've got so many things to go through. All right, let's start with um, the Redcliffe Storm. I think Wayne Bennett's entire recruitment strategy is whoever's playing for the Storm, offer them a contract. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Grant has reportedly rejected a massive offer from the Redcliffe team um, to sign with the Storm. Cam Munster, who I've got a funny story about later, has actually rejected the Storm's first offer. So the interesting thing about Harry Grant um, rejecting Redcliffe is his dad actually played for them. Well, wow, okay. You would have thought there'd be a little bit. Maybe he just loves um, the environment down there. He's a little bit out of the spotlight, you know. It's well, that's what he said. Melbourne. That's what he said. Not about the out of the spotlight, but he said the structures of this club are second to none. And 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 you know what? You picked him for the Dally M, and he, he might be a good show, actually. So oh, Yeah, he was um, phenomenal other than the goal kicking on Friday. Who's next? In terms of Dally M? It's not about you. Stay with me here. It's about the Redcliffe team. Who, who else are they going to recruit from the Storm? Well, they can't get Xavier Coates. He's a little bit too new, but I reckon Justin Olam might be the next one off the crank. What's the pitch to him? Justin, we're closer to Papua New Guinea than we are to Brisbane yes, as the correct. second Brisbane yes, team. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes, that's pretty so, much it. So another player that was linked with Redcliffe was... Um, Vunavalu, who's playing for the Queensland Reds, had a really He's been linked he's been linked to a few teams in the last week. Grew up playing rugby, but he's just been injured a lot the last couple of years. The Queensland Reds want him to stay, but since he signed the contract with Queensland Reds, obviously rugby's short of money and they can't offer him the same type of money. Now since that article came about came out about the Redcliffe, exactly one day later, they said that South's are now favourites to sign him. South really needs a winger. That's for sure. They're missing some strike in their back line, I think. But he's, he'd be a great signing. We will get to that game. I think their strike in their back line is the least of their concerns, Souths. But let's let's talk about that as we get to it. I think for any team that really needs a winger, I would I would push hard for um, Vinavalu. He's kind of the prototype. He's big, he's strong, but he's fast and agile. Like he's got a bit of everything that he's not missing anything. It's a he's rugby World Cup year next year. I wonder if he's not better off staying in rugby, doing the World Cup, and then coming back. The league does not have the equivalent. Does not have the equivalent of a rugby union World Cup, as I you know. The World Cup. I went to Japan in 2019. Yes. With my friends that actually care about me. You harassed Morgan Turanui. I did. I did. And I said he should. I was. I was at a rugby function with Morgan Turanui, drunk, and I tried to convince him to sign for the Roosters. Morgan Turanui must be 54 years old at the moment. Yes, so, correct. Yeah. Even though I'm an Eels supporter, so there you go. So don't ask, don't ask what drunk T gets up to at these rugby functions. So, All right, go. So a um, couple of more news. Um, the NRL, Graham Annesley sent an email around about cracking down on the cannonball tackle after a spate of them in round one. Did it go to all the clubs or did they miss clubs this time? 
I don't know how many clubs got the email, but given <laughs> yeah, there was okay. very little cannonball tackles in round two, I'm guessing they got the message. I know there's always a third man in trying to slow the play the ball down, but sometimes there's some of them come in with real force and it is quite dangerous and, you, you know, you damage people's knees and ankles and it's... In fact, I'm amazed there's not more injuries with some of the stuff you see with those third man in tackles. I think there were, I think it did lead to a couple of injuries, right? Leilua said he's, he's still hurt and I know he played, again, for... A really overperforming yeah. Tigers team, but um, yeah, correct. So we'll cover we'll cover that off as well. So yeah, I mean, it's obviously. Gee, you've you've brought a lot to this segment so far. Can I just? Give I'm you on that? fire. Are I'm on still, fire. Are you still thinking about how your day was after I asked you? I am. Okay, okay. Um, what did you think of um the New South Wales government getting involved in the naming of the new stand at the new football stadium, the Arthur Beetson stand, after it was going to be named after the army barracks that was there originally. Now, I, I should say, we both know the marketing manager for the Sydney Football Trust, the Football Stadium Trust. Can we slag him off on this? Ian Head's the son, Phil. We went to school with him, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to be on different sides. I think they were right not to name it Arthur Beetson. They were going to give him a statue outside. I think they were right not to name it. I can see both sides. I can see the fact that they were going to give him a statue, which I think is wonderful, and purely understand why they would name it after the barracks that were there originally. It's a, it's a testament to their history. But I also can understand why, when so many stands and everything are named after other players, why there was a push to have it named after Arthur Beetson too. I, I'm said, kind of on the fence. He was fundamentally a Queenslander. I get, right? You've got to understand the history of rugby league and why State of Origin took off. Everyone goes, Arthur Beats and, and people like Steve Roach came out. And I've, I've actually, when it comes to the history of the game and forwards in the 80s and 70s, I actually do value Steve Roach's opinion. Um, he's not always great on the analytics side of the game, but but his, his knowledge of forward play in the history is fantastic. And he was a fantastic ball-playing prop. I agree with that. But he, he said he played most of his career in New South Wales. He played 14 or 15 seasons. He did two premierships. He played for New South Wales six times he only played for Queensland once and all of that is true but Arthur Beetson was always a Queenslander the issue was prior to the first state of origin the eligibility for New South Wales versus Queensland was the state you were playing in so because all the money was in the New South Wales Rugby League it used to rape pillage and plunder the Queensland Rugby League and all these players would come down to get paid and then they would have to play for New South Wales and that's why state of origin became such a big thing in 1980s. That's correct. So so I actually agree with Phil and what the Sydney Football Trust or the SCG Trust have done, tried to do at least and and you know they came out and said oh it's because he was inherently a Queenslander. And I think rather than having that argument played out in the press, you know, with Phil Rothfield and those types of people, he was inherently a Queenslander. But he was. it shouldn't it shouldn't preclude him from getting his name on the stadium. Now, there's two rugby league people on the stadium. Johnny Warren's another one that's from the football community that's got his name on the stadium, which I agree with. Ron yep. Coote is the other one. Um, who was the fourth one? Uh, Nicholas Shahidi from rugby. So Nicholas Shahidi. So Nicholas Shahidi, Johnny Warren, Ron Coote, I can't dispute. Yeah. I, I just think rugby league was already represented. Should it have been a, perhaps a cricketer? I know they've got all the names on the SCG. I think that's why it wasn't, because they've got all the names of the SCG. So it wasn't a cricketer. What about, a, what about an NRL women's player? What about a female politician? What about someone that, you know, diversity? <laughs> Really? It's always going to be coming from a very narrow field, and I think that's unfortunately replicated in many of these type of awards or um, symbols and honours that we bestow on people in Australia. Australians of the year, there's people that do amazing things, and it always seems to go to whoever takes the most wickets in the ashes. You know, like that type of stuff. So I I agree with you, but... it's almost like I'm not surprised they didn't look further beyond, you know, where they did, which is just rugby, football, um, soccer. The more I think about it now, I think that 
the statue would have been sufficient. And if you're going to go a footballer, why don't why don't they give him two names for footballers? I mean, I mean, as far as I know, Johnny Warren's the only name of a stand in Australia at the moment of the major stadiums. What about what about Tim Cahill, Harry Kuehl? They're both they're both Sydney siders. It just seems to be stuck in that era with Johnny Warren, like Johnny. Johnny was marvelous, and he's had a lot of. He's got a lot. I'll of tell stuff. you what. Like, I'll I'm, tell you what. If they wanted to go with uh, someone else, sorry, I'm on my hobby horse here. What about yeah, Adam Goods? Oh, that would have been a good one. I like that. Two two time Brownlow winner. After all the racism, he's home. Te- he's now a Sydney cider. I mean, I just, I just think it, it was very myopic. I agreed. Maybe you didn't want to call it the barracks. That I can understand for. But I don't understand why rugby league takes up so much of the oxygen. I'm on Phil's side with this one. No, fair enough. That's all right. If they were going to pick someone that you probably disagree with, Arthur Beetson probably is a really good choice. Sure, but I mean, why can't you know what I mean? Stadium name, oh, and and surely the statue was sufficient. I think we should just have named it after Wally Lewis and put a statue of Wally Lewis at the front. Jesus, what about Brett Kenny? Hey, but Brett Kenny doesn't exist anymore. It's like he. Ever played. If you were going to go a footballer, what about this? Steve Mortimer, you're a Canterbury supporter. First captain of New South Wales to win Origin. He's currently going through his issues, his health issues. That would have been yep. a tremendous thing to do as well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple people they could have picked. You know, it's it's a tough one. Let's get back to stuff on the ground. Speaking of NRL women's, yes. um, they announced during the week that the NRL women's team, or the comp is going to expand to eight teams in 2023 and 10 teams in 2024, and State of Origin will go to two games from this season. As part of the shake-up, they said the salary cap's actually going to increase to to $350,000, and on average, that'll mean that they get a 28% pay rise for the NRL women's. Um, the Origin match fee is going to go up from 4 k to 6 k per player, and the All-Stars from 1600 to 3000 They're going to announce the new teams for 2023 and 2024, in yeah. July this year. I applaud this move. It's a good move. I think it's excellent. You know, it rewards the women for the w- amount of work they put into their football. And you know what? They, they should be paid appropriately. And, you know, I've always been an advocate of the objectivity around eyeballs and that relates into payments, etc. you know, with sports ratings and things like that. And that's what gets the contract. I'd be interested to see if that actually, the women's game grows, if that actually becomes reflective of the same situation, where if the women's game starts to get enormous views and and ratings if the women start to get paid in association with the amount of ratings that they generate so i hope they do and i hope the game continues to grow and the women keep on getting compensated fairly for do you have faith in the nrl no i don't i've lost faith (laughs) you challenged my faith last year and it's disappeared yeah you defended them on this issue and yeah they were terrible they were so let's let's move on to a few uh, i'm doing this in no particular order at the moment the rumors won't go away about jason tormalolo being shopped around why wouldn't you shop him around right you're gonna hope someone's gonna bite and at least take seven hundred thousand dollars of his contract you'd probably take a three hundred thousand dollar dead money on your cap he might sign for the bulldogs for fifty thousand a year they could get him to play halfback Phil Gould is managing our salary cap so well, I think Jason Tormalolo would pay us to play. I, I don't think he's worth his contract at all, and it's understandable they're trying to get rid of it. And there's someone will probably bite thinking that they can get the Jason Tormalolo of four years ago back into their team. You, you kind of hope he doesn't go to a Penrith or a Roosters, though, because they will probably get him back to his best, and they're probably the teams that you don't want to add him to. Okay, so... um. 
Phil Gould, during the week, came out and said uh, Brad Fittler should be the next Immortal. And he quoted 426 first-class games, which I'm sure is right, um, people in 16 seasons. And yes, he was ca- so what? He had, well, he had to pick up. Oh, I can understand this argument. You've got to remember the context in which Brad Fittler became Brad Fittler. First, he was the 17-year-old that came through the Panthers yep. team. Yep. Then, then goes on a kangaroo tour, allegedly... Chats up a Christmas tree thinking it's a lady all night. Yes. Then then all his mates from that kangaroo tour defect to Super League and he's left to pick up the Australian team and the New South Wales team. That is right, but it makes him more, you know, more of an immortal than 20 other players. I, I think this immortal concept, I don't like. I agree with this. So this is this was the point I'm getting to. Like, in all honesty, and um, and this is coming from a, a Bulldogs and a Parra perspective, more from an 80s perspective, I would say, right? What makes him better than Brett Kenny? Or what makes him better than Terry Lamb? Like, really? I think he was better than Terry Lamb. Brett Kenny's a tougher argument. But the reason why I say the reason why I say that is because I think his his club career was at least the equivalent of Terry Lamb, and he was a much better rep player. But I agree with you. I agree with the point you're making that they should have a Hall of Fame, and that should be it. And that's it, right? Like, to, and I'll give you an example. Like Brett Kenny led Para. He was amazing for Parramatta, and they were dominant. They, you know what I mean. The last team to win three in a row, we dominated the 82 and 86 undefeatables and the invincibles, and we still don't have an immortal. And this is what I mean, dude. Like, this is why I I don't like this concept. For me, Kenny, three grand finals, uh, preliminary final, and then another grand final win. Four, Four wins, right? And a preliminary final. That's incredible. Terry Lamb, 349 first grade games. And basically, since he left, we struggled, right? You're talking a player that was a key player in five grand finals as well. Plus, how many years of contention? Like, and I love Brad Fittler. I just what makes him better than half these guys? And let's be honest, Brad Fittler went through a period of his career where he was quite inconsistent for a while after Super League and all that kind of stuff. And then towards the end, it's like everything came together and he was unbelievable for four years or five years, right? But there was a lull in his career. Yeah, but I think it was only well. one or two seasons, buddy. I think I think a lot of people have. I can understand. I, I can understand. But Cliff why. Lyons, right? What makes him better than Cliff Lyons? Like, I think he was a better player than Cliff Lyons because I think his representative career was better. Yeah, but he was picked all the time, and you know, New South Wales was better, and blah blah blah. Like I, I so? think week to week is where you earn your stripes. I don't think State of Origin. So okay, but I okay then. I I think I think he was better than Terry Lamb. Or the, at least the equivalent of Terry Lamb and Cliff Lyons. Equivalent, in terms of club yes, player. absolutely. Yeah, equivalent. I think equivalent. Like I don't think Brad Fittler's worse or better. Rep, his rep team reputation and the way he played in reps far outweighs the resume of Cliff Lyons and Terry Lamb. Yeah, but what I mean is, like for me, right, is that I don't think he's better or worse. I think they're all a bunch of amazing five eights, incredible players, right? There's four or five. They're not. So who would you have as the next immortal? I hate the concept. I don't know. I mean, why isn't Ray Price there? Like, why isn't Peter Sterling there? Like, there's 50 players I could pick that could be the next immortal. Cam Smith's record, if you look at records purely... Cam Smith I mean, Cam Smith is way ahead of anybody that exists. I mean, Steve Menzies. I know it's not the politically correct thing to say. I lived... I grew up watching Mal. Oh, no, sorry, I forgot about Mal Meninga. Like, how is he not an immortal? Mal isn't an immortal. Mal is an immortal. Mal Meninga went through so many stages. Sorry, sorry, Mal, Mal Meninga is an immortal. But Mal Meninga... Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. What a, no, but my point was going to be about... I love doing this podcast with you. It's so good. I mean, you just do no preparation, don't even know who the immortals are. You're the best. And you've got to leave this in. This is This is your finest hour. 
But Mal Meninga was never the best player on that Raiders team. He was never... Probably the most important, but I would say not the best. I agree with that. I agree with that. Most important, most influential. But what I'm saying to you is, and Mal was an amazing player, don't get me wrong. Absolutely. Far out. But if you ask people in the 80s... It was a debate between Mal Meninga and Gene Miles in the centres. Yeah, at times it was, until Gene Miles got older and his body broke down. Sure, he was a bit older than Mal, right? But what I'm saying to you is, you know, Mal's the... I reckon Mal's the benchmark for me there. So, because I can't really... I didn't see some of these players play. Andrew Johns is the best half I've ever seen. I didn't see Arthur Beetson play. King Wally needs to be there. But Wally Lewis, Andrew Johns, Brad Fittler, if you put... I mean, he's he's kind of up there with them, isn't he? He's up there Mal with Meninga. them, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no doubt. It's just that, you know, what is his criteria that makes him better than all these other guys? I don't think there is one. It's just uh, because Phil Good worked with him at Penrith and then at the Roosters. So that means the next immortal, because Phil Good's now at the Bulldogs, will be Jake Averillo. I, I think Jake Averillo might have bigger <laughs> problems to, to address, yeah. Speaking of Brad Fittler, he suggested that the 18th team, which do they do need to introduce to get the extra game ahead they of the They will eventually. He suggested that should be Perth. The Western Reds. Bring back the Reds. I, I agree with him. I think it should be Perth. So can we can we go look back at previous podcasts where you suggested the 18th team should have been from New Zealand because you wanted to create the rivalry over there? Correct, yes. But um, the more I think about it, I think Perth is probably the right place to put it. You, did, can, can you tell the truth? You just forgot that you said a second team in New Zealand, didn't you? I didn't. I, I think it's a hard one. I think Perth should be the favourite, but then I always part of me always wonders why we don't have a team in PNG. Sure, oh, that's not a bad idea. Although they are in the Queensland Cup, aren't they? They are. They are. But it's like the passion for rugby league is so great. You know, maybe there's logistical issues, or I don't know. But and you know, Port Moresby is you know not one of the safest cities in the world and things like that. But you know, the people in PNG they they they're crazy about their footy. You wonder whether. It's an experiment worth taking, you know what I mean? If it's an Australian-based um, club, I would pick Perth. Yeah, okay, fair enough. All right, let's move on to some other news. We've got a big week. Um, Blake Ferguson's back in Australia after the judge determined his 29 days in prison was sufficient punishment. He's now being shopped around to various clubs in the NRL. Uh, Para have said they won't sign him despite all the injuries we've got in the outside backs. <laughs> I think that's quite telling. Don't you? I think he's going to end up at the... Roosters. South Sydney Rabbitohs. Yep. Or the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. I could... Honestly, I could see that happening in both instances because they both have a need on the wing at the moment. And... But the fact that Para, he's been part of their team for quite a successful run and they don't want him back at all, despite all the injuries, I don't know. But I think South... He'd be a good signing for South, so he's... He's better than what they got at the moment. Well, Souths have got a few problems. All right. Yep. Let's let's move on to the Dragons. After weeks of the Dragons leaking stories about Tarek Sims, that, yes. he's on, that he's on 800K and wanted that sort of money again, a lot of it through the news, me- news limited media. I'll let people do their own Google history on the links between the coaching staff and the news limited media at Saints. Yes. Sims' management came out and gave Danny Widler an exclusive. This week. Of course they did, yeah. That he's actually only on 630k, an amount he took as as offered. He didn't um negotiate up. They Saints offered him 630k, and that's what he signed for. That's what he's on. And the rumor is that he was signed for the Storm for circa 250k. Can I just say this? Now the reason why I call this, I don't normally do the toing and froing between the players. The reason why this was interesting to me is because the player's agent obviously leaked to Danny Weedler and let's say Anthony Griffin for argument's sake. 
spoke to News Limited, right? But for argument's sake, in inverted commas, they both can actually be true because these contracts aren't linear. So he could have averaged 800K a year for the last three years of his contract. But it could have been a ramp down contract where he got a million bucks in the first year and 630k. Well, absolutely. Year. I mean, we've seen that with um, the issues the dogs had and Manly had with the back ended contracts that they had to clear out because of the way Hasler would structure his cap over a number of years. So you had people on enormous money by the end of their fourth or fifth year. But so Matt Duffy, you're right. Tarek Sims, the way Saints lets these players go, it's not great. Apparently, Anthony Griffin and Tarek Sims aren't talking either. That that doesn't surprise me at all. None of this stuff surprises me anymore. The way I would say some of the stuff, like the way Saints seems to have let, like you say, let players go, they don't seem to be leaving on friendly terms. I don't know. Something just hasn't been right at Saints for a long time. Uh, that's the way I view it, for whatever something, reason. Something was right in the way they played against the Storm on the weekend, let me tell you. So... So let's let's keep moving. Nathan Cleary and Ivan Cleary have been offered long-term deals by the Panthers. Nathan's yes. under contract till 2024, and um, Ivan's still got one more year to run on his contract. The new contract for Nathan will extend him to 2028 when he's 30, uh, and it'll be 1.1 million per annum. And they're extending Ivan till then as well. What do you think of this move? I mean, Nathan Cleary can't play anywhere else, right? He's gonna. He is, in my opinion, if he stays injury free, he'll go down as the Panthers greatest ever player and he's got a massive panther tattooed to his side so which makes it hard to play for another club it does <laughs> does make it slightly difficult hey we're unleashing we're, we're unveiling him for the gold coast titans hey nathan what's that massive panther tattoo on your side it's uh, here's the titan the t- titan would be on his le- his left calf i think it's a good move i i think he's got all the skills and the ability to play you know until he's 28-30, they, they'd be aware of his work ethic. You know, week to week, he shows up to, he's not like they won last year and then he, you know, he, he stops putting in the work. So they, they'd understand his mentality as well. And you've got your halfback set. I mean, yes, there's a risk because players get injured, but that's no matter what you pay them, that's a risk. So for someone like Nathan, clear his ability and you're saying he could go down as probably their best player. If he stays injury free, I mean... If he stays he's... injury free, you've got to take it, right? Like... He's won the Dally M, hasn't he? He's won the Dally yeah. M. Two grand finals in a row, Two grand finals. and he's still young Origin. and he's getting better. I think it's a good move. And to be honest, like if you go back and look at Nathan um, Ivan Cleary's coaching record, he's pretty much been done really well, and his teams play good football in most of the places he's coached. So you know, can you go wrong? I, I think it's a good. Bill move Gould didn't think so. Bill Gould thought he was tired. And the Tigers wouldn't necessarily agree that he was a great coach for them. No, but that's because he was halfway out the door. Anyway, so on his yeah. bus. That's right. All his right. bus. All right, a couple of sad news. One is Josh Hard- Josh Hodgson has been ruled out with an ACL injury for the rest of the yes. season. Um, but what a signing for Parramatta. Yep. What a signing Perfect. for Parramatta. We're taking a 33-year-old with an a- coming off an ACL injury to be our starting hooker. What could possibly go wrong? He'd probably be on similar money to what they could have paid Reed Marnie. But anyway, continue. Good move. Brad Arthur. Great move. He's a veteran experience. I think I speak for all Parramatta fans when I say get stuff, G. Thank you. I'm coming to the dog stories. Don't worry. You guys are always in the press. We are. George Burgess was interviewed today. It was leaked to the press. He was interviewed by the police to assist with inquiries over sexual touching allegations. Well, I can tell you that. It wasn't to do with the ball because he drops that all the time. So that's, uh, that's, that's not a good thing. I mean, no, we talked about this no. before, right? Like, I mean, but this is what I'm saying to you: the culture, the far culture. Out. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to use it as a leg segue into another story, right? Yeah. Not a rugby league story, a rugby union story from the weekend. I was watching the Six Nations on the weekend. Yeah. 
I do watch the rugby. I do enjoy the rugby. I love my football, but I but I love I love rugby just as much. So yep. And I did want to call out something I saw in the six month in the Six Nations. Other than I think France will win the World Cup next year, and oh wow, that's a big call. And and Antoine Dupont, who's the who's the halfback for France. He may be the best football player in either code at the moment. He would be an absolute sensation in rugby league. I'm assuming he wears, and he wears a non-stick jersey. <laughs> well, oh, Dupont. Oh, that's very funny. That's actually very funny. It is. He, he might it's be the best. Purely player. a dad joke. Yeah, he's a dad joke. But he, fantastic player. You have no idea who he is. But I think France will win the World Cup. And Anthony. I don't. I might Google. I'll probably Google him later. Actually, and take and take a look. That's a pretty big call. So I'd like to sort of see what he's got. You know what I mean? You're not going to do that. You can barely Google NRL. So anyway. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Italy won its first game since 2015 in the Six Nations on the weekend with a try in the last minute against Wales. Josh Adams from Wales was player of the match. I thought you were going to say Josh Adams from Italy there. I was going to say, wow, no, okay. No, and sought out the Italy fullback, Capuzzo, who who was Tedesco-like. He made the break. He was absolutely a teddy run um, to set up the winning try. Yep. And he actually, Capuzzo actually beat Josh Adams in, 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 in the break leading to the try. He sought him out after the game on the field and gave him his player of the match medal because he thought he deserved it. And it was the you know, Italian's first win in six years in the sex. Six well, nations. that's actually quite a magnanimous gesture. I like and that. And there's some debate about Italy staying there. Now, that is fantastic sportsmanship. Sonny Bill did it after he gave away his Rugby World Cup winning medal when the All Blacks won the World Cup. Yeah. We just don't get enough stories like that in rugby league. This, the reason why I draw it, one, I like the rugby, but two, there's culturally something wrong in our sport and we've got to address it. To be honest, I think they focus on the negative so much too. I, I think there are stories like that. You just don't hear it because it doesn't sell. No, it's boring. I think the media loves the rugby league sensationalism because it sells papers. Or creates headlines or clicks so, so, these so days. Are you, are you saying it's a media issue, not a player issue? No, 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 no. We've spoken. I think there is a culture issue, but I also think the media use it to drive clicks and, and interest as well. I think they sensationalise it a little bit more in rugby league. That's what anyway, I think. Anyway, I, I, I loved it. I, I thought that was a great gesture. It's awesome. And, it's fantastic. And, you know, like, T, T, it also shows a level of humility to go, you know what, they won the game. I, I don't think I was the best player on the field. That guy was. And to actually walk over and give it to him, it's pretty, pretty, pretty good thing. I like it. Rugby league doesn't have a culture like that. Not really, no. No. Rugby league's got a culture where someone blows up that they weren't given man of the match. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes. It's true. Or the press does. The press does. Yeah, Yeah. it's true. It is true. So I'm just trying to draw the... I only say it there. I know it's an NRL show, but I say it because... This, you know, they don't talk back to the refs no matter how bad the decisions get. There's just some things there that I think we can clean up in our game. And it'll make a big difference. There are, but I do love the ref interactions. They're great. It's... So okay, hang on. I'm not talking to I'm not talking to you and the rest of your team to your team to get back. Yeah, they're clamping down on in the AFL as well to in talk talk back to the yeah. Referee. It's only rugby league that's been left behind. Gary McIntyre. I don't know whether you saw this. Uh, no, as a, I as a as a bulldog, uh, you you go for the bulldogs. You're a bulldogs football club member. You vote at these elections, and you haven't heard the story about Gary McIntyre. No, I have not. I've tried to keep away from the um, shenanigans. Gary McIntyre was the head of the Dogs in 2002 when they rotted the cap by over a million dollars, were docked 30, dock 37 points. And Correct. everyone ended up with an apartment block from that side. He was banned from ever having an executive position in the game, or it might not have been in the game. Certainly at Canterbury, he was banned by it. I think so, yes. So naturally, 20 years later, he's been elected onto the league's club board. Of course he has. 
you're the Canterbury supporter, so this is your, where you comment on this. I'm, I'm a football club member only, um, so the Leagues Club is a separate entity, but I think, you know what, people have short memories, mate, honestly. People probably don't even know who Gary McIntyre is, and if you're organised with some of these things, it's what, what I've learned is talking to people, it's amazing if you're organised how little support you need to get into some of these positions that people think are hard and difficult to get into. It's not a great thing, but, um, you know, it, it seems to be the, the past is done too. I mean, it was 20 years ago, so I, I'm a bit iffy about it. <laughs> okay. I probably don't want to comment more than that. All right, let's move on to other news. Um, because we were talking about governance, I'm going to go into the governance. I've only got one, two more stories. From, from a governance perspective, the New South Wales Rugby League issued a very detailed media statement that explained their side of the argument as to what happened with, with Dino. Oh, with Mitsutesta. Half ahead, we're back. What yes. happened was, okay, <laughs> according to the New South Wales Rugby League, when Dino put himself up to go onto the board, the New South Wales Rugby League asked Dino to produce documents. You know, you're nominating for a board position, you need to produce documents, yeah? Normal governance, including his employment agreement because they've got rules under the constitution on who he can work for. He provided only some of the documents and not all of the documents by the due date to nominate. So therefore, he wasn't allowed to nominate for the board. Correct, he's ineligible. He's ineligible. That is all that happened according to the New South Wales Rugby League. And the New South Wales Rugby League further goes on to say that its constitution is modelled on the Australian Rugby League Commission constitution. I, I give up. So actually, the New South Wales Rugby League's done nothing wrong here. It's just they want no. to the clubs. The clubs are getting together. They don't want the money to go through the New South Wales Rugby League and they needed something to cause a stink about. It's the clubs overruling the game again. Oh, yeah, bloody hell. And Wayne Bennett came out about this, right? He they said, want their influence, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's right. He said the game's got to take on the clubs. And he was right. He said it in the context of concussions. He was talking about that this week. And he was saying how the Roosters and the Victor Radley should have been taken off in week one for his concussion, which I agree with. And Trent Robertson came out and denied it, said he's we're one of the cleaner clubs and all that sort of stuff. But now that Wayne doesn't have a club, he can take a pop at everyone. But I agree with Wayne that these clubs are taking the piss with the concussion rules. And as a result, the game's got to stand up to the clubs. And it's the same with the New South Wales Rugby League. We've got to take the clubs on. The clubs have the best interest of their clubs at heart, not the best interest of the game at heart. But that's that's normal, right? It's to be expected in a lot of areas. A short-term interest is not the long-term interest for the game or even the players sometimes. And I'm not saying the the clubs necessarily put their players in harm, harm's way with some of this concussion stuff. I just think the culture of rugby league is a tough sport. You carry on. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's in the best interest of the player or the game. So I agree with Wayne Bennett. And I think you've got to take some of the power away from them because they're going to do things that are in their interest, not what's in the best interest of the game if they don't benefit. Correct. I agree. I agree. All right, let's move on to my last story. Do you have? But any can news you imagine? Yeah, can you imagine the conflict of interest register for the NRL? Good, good segue. Good it would segue. It be like a book. Good like, segue, seriously. my friend. Good segue, my friend. Jesus. After rumours last year in the Queensland yeah. bubble of an alleged incident, oh, no, yes, between go. a Queensland politician and a Storm player. It wasn't Barnaby Joyce giving somebody his cowboy hat, was it? He's a Kubra. No, no. no? There, was a, there was an alleged incident between a Queensland politician yep. and a Storm player in their hotel yes. room. Hindy and Fletch did a segment on the Matty Johns show where they asked Cam Munster about it as a gag. Yep. This has apparently incensed the Storm, who has complained to Fox Sports and the NRL 
Ooh, and it's wow. now been removed from all the Fox Sports promos. You can't find it anywhere online, etc., etc. But Cam Munster then said, stuff this. I'm really upset about this. I'm going to complain to my manager. And his manager happens to be the host of NRL 360, who is Braithen Astar. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. This is awesome. He went into Fox Sports to talk about Fox Sports, his employer's treatment of his player. How does that even work? Oh, mate. What a, was he, did he have the conversation with himself? Braith, this was uncalled for. Thanks, Braith. I'll leave it with me. I'll, I'll sort it out. So, Braith, can you tell your employer that they were a little bit harsh on me? Uh, I'll give up. That was my favourite story of the week. <laughs> How does that even work? It's a big week, right? We've done 40 minutes of news. Big week. Did you follow any of that news during the week? I have been news-free because I feel like it allows me to devote my energies to more beneficial pursuits meditation-wise. Right. Does any of your pursuits include checking in on your mates and checking in on their family to check that they're okay? When you meditate, you have to put yourself in a different world and take yourself out of this world. I I hope your family is well, G. Thanks for checking in on mine. All right. Let's move on to game one on Thursday night, which which actually ended up being a cracker only because of the last 20 minutes, really. But when South decided to try and score points. Well, I mean, I think the storm collapsed a little bit in a heap as well. They did. Yeah, so... The Storm's second halves this season haven't been fantastic, um, but let's let's cover that off. So the Storm versus South, which was a great game. The Storm won at 15-14 with a Ryan Pappenhausen field goal in the end. Yep. Look, first up, it was Craig Bellamy's 500th game as a Storm head coach in the NRL, which is an amazing achievement. Um, wow, South's, far out. Yeah, 500 games, right? So it's not, he's still got another 27,000 games to catch up with Skeletor, but... Yeah. South's, South's made too many errors early, and the Storm scored first through Xavier Coates after Harry Grant kicked on the first tackle after a six again. Mind you, just on that try, I was listening to the commentary saying how amazing that kick was. He, it was good vision, but Xavier Coates is like six foot ten and then had to jump all the way up in the air and catch the ball and then land before getting hit. You know, maybe it could have been a little bit better place. Great vision by Harry Grant, but don't. Talk about how amazing and perfectly placed the kick was. Well, like, the bigger oh, issue yeah. I had, because I, I noticed something in commentary too, and I've, I, but but it wasn't that. My bigger issue was about five, ten, 15 seconds before the try was scored. Yeah. The, the commentator said how left side dominant the Storm were because they scored like five more tries down the left than the right over the whole season, which is actually ridiculous. The Storm are actually one of the more better balanced sides. O- over and the they whole scored, season, five Over the whole season. Okay. So it was something right. like that. It was 67 versus... 62 or something that's like that. not so dominant that's quite balanced it's they're, they're actually one of the more balanced sides in the comp as you know i mean why do they well, I mean, we, we're blessed with amazing commentators and then they proceeded to go score down the right edge the storm through xavier Coates. so 10 minutes later the storm again got around the south's left edge the south's left edge collapsed in a heap right when aj had a bad miss on Coates, who put pappenhausen over to make it eight nil then from the kickoff Storm go the length of the field after a defender. Yeah, defender Tom Burgess went the wrong way. And Kaloa Matangi at marker was a little bit lazy. And Harry Grant went went through and put Cam Munster over to make it 14-0 at halftime. So at this point, it was all the Storm, right? The Storm really targeted South's slow defence around the middle of the ruck and some poor left-edge defence. Souths didn't look like they were in this game in the first half. Can I just also say Souths made too many mistakes. In the first half, Souths completed 10 of 20 sets. 50%. They missed 16 tackles and were not able to slow the play of the ball down at all. The, the Melbourne Storm just got a roll on. 10 minutes into the second half, the Storm had a try disallowed. I thought it was a 50-50 decision. Is that when Munster when Munster um, was offside? 
Correct. And then Maroa was sin-binned after he held Cam Murray back without the ball. But the Storm managed to hold on and Souths couldn't score. Souths lacked a lot of cohesion in attack, obviously taking time with Ilias. I don't think Ilias has had a good game this year. But they did create chances, but just couldn't hold the ball. They dropped so much pill. And then something clicked. Eventually, AJ scored after Xavier Coates ran out of the line in an attempt to take an intercept to make it 14-4 with 10 minutes to play. Five and a half minutes to go, Justin Olam got binned for repeated infringements and Jackson Paulo scored down Justin Olam's side to make it 14-8. No one wanted to kick a goal at this point, right? Mate, <laughs> so- I- I'm going to bring that up. Goal kicking this weekend or in the season so far has been... Terrible. Very bad but from a lot of teams. After Paulo was... And just, just Jackson Polo scored down Justin Olins, but just Jackson Polo actually was terrible this game. He was moved from left centre to right wing because of his defence deficiencies in defence, right? Yeah, but... No, he was terrible. He was terrible. He was, but he's trying to learn... I get that, but he's trying to learn a new position that actually is quite vital in the defensive line, and he's going to make errors. It's just inevitable. Yeah, but like it's going to cost adjusting. them games. It's a professional well, it sport. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's like, mate, you need some time to kind of adjust to the different angles, different reads. You know, at, on the wing, Jackson Paulo was defensively quite good. Um, so it's there's there might be two or three on the games wing. They had all the ball in the second half. The no, ref I mean, absolutely like last managed year, the ball. Sorry, oh, last right, right. Last the year ref, defensively, the refs absolutely managed Souths back into the game. With oh yeah, I think so. Ridiculous yes. decisions, and another one of those resulted in Campbell Graham scoring with two minutes to go, but Latrell missed his third conversion, and yep. at this point. The Storm were up 14-12. All the momentum was with Souths, but they hadn't kicked a goal. Then Melbourne kicked it over, and you won't see another five minutes like this. Then Melbourne kicked it over the dead ball line, and Souths, like, it bounced and went over the dead ball line, so it was a Souths dropout. Souths went for a short kickoff. That didn't go to 10 metres. I know. Except it bounced forward into the Bunnies' hands, right? So it should have been a penalty. Oh, yeah. It's just a ridiculous... And two tackles later, Latrell kicked, who couldn't kick the goal... But he kicked 45-metre, two-point field goal to make it 14-all and send us to Golden Point. The Storm led 14-0 with 12 minutes to play and got run down. Yeah, let's be honest, it could have been 20-26-0. Sure, sure. But but um, in Golden Point, though, Lachlan Ilias threw a ball behind Cody Walker, who dropped it, and Pappenheisen did well with, to avoid the on-rushing defence from Souths, and I thought they did a good job of closing him down. They did. He just, ste- he just stepped them. Stepped, stepped them, and it was an awkward yeah. kick, right? So he potted yep. the field goal, and they were down to 12 men, and they still won the game 15-14. Great finish. It was a great finish. Made it exciting. I thought it was very one-way in the first half and the early stages of the second half for me, I thought. I mean, the Storm could have scored 30 points. The goal-kicking, I think, kept Souths in touch a little bit. Because they missed a few goals. Although I did think it was funny that Harry Grant got the two sideline conversions and then they sacked him for the conversion from in front. So, mate, I think I like the way Coates is sort of fitting into that team too. With this, I think him and Pappenheiser. Now you're seeing Pappenheiser pop up on that side of the field, right, and work with him in attack. That's that's happening on like the defenses. They've moved away from the left right stuff a lot, and 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 the attacks are varied now, right? They're de- they're attacking from deeper in the field. Um, yes, they are. the 35, 40 metre mark. And they're going side to side more. So it used to be straight in the play first through the centre and then attack either edge. But now if you make them break down the right, they yeah, the very next I, play, they go down the left. 
I mean, and I think it's it's making it a little bit more fun to watch. I thought last year Wayne Bennett was basically a statue that they or a cardboard cutout that they took to various games and put him in the coaching box. But the more I watch South this year, I know they've had personnel changes. I think you're starting to see more of Jason Dimitri, and I think that the way they're playing is a little bit different. They're struggling to score. They don't have as much depth. And like you said, there's a lot of pressure on Ilias at the moment. It's almost like being so far behind with 10 minutes to go just sort of freed them up and then all of a sudden it started to cause a storm problem. Gee, gee, it's really hard. The halfback in rugby league, in modern modern day halfback playing rugby league is almost like a quarterback. It is really hard to do anything in attack without a recognised halfback. You've got to remember, Anthony, even Jason Demetrius said this after the game, Anthony Milford was made, meant to take the pressure off Ilias he by was. being the first choice halfback this year. Correct, that's right. I think Lachlan Ilias, he was a very good rugby union player growing up. I, I think he will he be will good. get there. But he's a 19-year-old kid he yeah. was like sixth game of first grade. Mate, there's no expectation on him. He's not going to be great. Every, he, he's going to play the odd good game. He's a kid, right? And that's you've got to go through the growing pains with him. So, and I just think South's attack lacked a lot of depth. They don't have much pace. And they need depth to get players running at speed when they're catching the ball. And once they started to do that, they opened Melbourne up a little bit and nearly stole the game, to be honest. Latrell's kick was... Fucking amazing. But Latrell, mate, you need to drop about 10 kilos because he's even bigger than he was last year. And there were times where he lacked a lot of agility at times. He's obviously gone to the same trainer as Bradman Best. The thing is, Souths need Latrell this year more than ever. He needs to get fitter and regain. He's still got some of his power, but, mate, he's going to struggle. You're getting older. You're carrying... You're not 20. You can't carry that weight. You need to drop it off. And I I think that's going to hamper Souths if he doesn't sort that out. But he came up with touches of brilliance and almost stole the game, essentially with a bit of luck. So, look, I think it was a decent sign for South. There were some positives to take away, but they were pretty easily beaten. But once they kind of settled a bit, there were some positives there, something they can build on for next week. But I think it's going to take South's time to sort of really find their feet this year in the NRL. Okay, great. Okay, so let's... Let's move on to the next game, which was the Friday night game, the early kickoff. This was another great game. What a great round of footy. The first two rounds have been fantastic. Saints versus the Panthers. As we said in our season preview, Saints will surprise a lot of teams this year. Panthers held on would be the way I'd describe it. 16-16. Yes, I would, yeah. The, the, the Panthers dominated field position early, but Saints did well to hold them out until Kikau charged down a hunt kick to make it 6-0. Saints hit back off two kicks by Ben Hunt. First a 40-20, then a couple of sets later, a bomb perfectly placed on the top of Kikau, who didn't, who again didn't jump. It's a trend this year. The second rows and centers aren't, and, and a lot of the back lines aren't jumping for the ball in the air. I don't know why, but it means all the momentum's with the attacking team. Yeah, probably to min- I'd imagine T um, to, to minimize six possibility of six agains. It's a risk minim- minimization thing, you know. So they get the bodies there. And probably try to hold them up, but not necessarily going for it. But it's the defensive teams that aren't leaping, so I don't. Yeah, I don't correct. Think. No, I mean you're handing momentum to the to, um, to the attacker. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Sloan scored over the top, like basically behind kick out to make it six all. Jaden Sewer then got binned for a late hit on O'Sullivan. Sewer does have this in his game. He got binned a couple of times for this. It's a bit dirty. The South Jayden last Sewer. year. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think O'Sullivan milked it a little bit, but then the bunker forced him to do a HIA. This is where the now people are going to come out about the bunker. <laughs> But I reckon yeah. good on them, good on them for him milking it and then sending him for 15 minutes. Um, the Panthers kicked a penalty goal to make it 8-6. Then George Burgess elbowed Luai in the head as he was taking a kick on the last tackle. And all he got was a penalty and on report. George Burgess should have gone to the bin for that. And from the net, 
from the next set, Spencer Lenu went through Tyron Sloan at marker. So they last year, Saints made this big song and dance about Matt Dufty being in the wrong position when he's in the A defender, he should be at marker, and when he's at marker, he should be the A defender. This is exactly what Tyrone Sloan did this this game. And Spencer Lunyu, who's probably got 40 kilos on him, spotted him and went straight through because he caught him out of position, right? And so, he's powerful and fast, Spencer Lunyu. You don't want to be in front of him. Let's see if they come out with the with the stories about Tyrone Sloan now. They so, won't because they'd like to keep um, Ty- Tyrell Sloan and also... The fans aren't upset with them about Tyrrell Sloan, so there's no news there at all. So so this made it 14-6 to the Panthers. Lenu then one-on-one stripped Zach Lomax coming out of his own line and Kikau danced through the Saints' right edge to make it 20-6 to with five to go in the first half. And and they actually scored that try where Sewer would have been. So that's, you know, they were down to 12. I got a bit of sympathy for the right edge there. They were down yeah. on numbers. Early in the second half, McCulloch hurt his left elbow and Imbai had to move to hooker. And actually, that changed the game because he gave yes. them McCulloch. McCulloch is just not giving enough zip. Yeah, he's very functional and solid McCulloch now at this age. Yeah. So, but it, it really did change the game. Saints scored first in the second half when Amoni Amoni on Saints right edge sent Sewer over to make it 12, 20 to twelve. But Zach Lomax was harshly sinbin for a professional foul. But the Panthers couldn't, despite being down to twelve men, the Panthers couldn't crack the Saints. Saints dominated the second half and finally scored after an M-by grubber to Lomax with three to go to make it 20-16. to 16. Saints looked like they could have stolen it at the end, but Amoni dropped the ball right at the death. And Saints, outside of the first half, I just want to say something to you. Outside of the Jaden Sewer sin binning in the first half, where, yeah. the better, where the Panthers dominated the game, they won the game 16-6 outside of that 10-minute period. Saints won the game 16-6. They also won the second half 10-0. It's the second week in a row the Panthers have faded in the second half. Kikau played 71 minutes, which was actually a good sign for them, and was the Panthers' best in his 100th first-grade game. And Ben, ben Hunt was fantastic for the Saints. But Saints were the better side in this game for me. Yeah, I mean, with this game here, I thought the, the injury to Toto hampered the Panthers a little bit. You know what? I was very impressed with the Dragons. Like you say, outside of that sort of period where, in a way, I think the Panthers sensed the moment and went in for the kill, and they ran up the score a little bit. Outside of that, the Dragons were very good. I thought defensively they were quite solid. I thought Francis Molo was fantastic because it gives them a little bit of mobility in the middle of the field and also agility in their defense. Um, I thought Isaiah Yo played really well for Penrith, and he kind of is their hub. And there's players always playing off him. Oh, Isaiah Yo's had a sensational start to the season. There was less of that sort of, I would say, speed in attack that Penrith showed against Manly and less of the forwards sort of zipping the ball out. Newcastle's trying to replicate it with playing um, Kurt Mann at... at, at yes, they are. Yes. At, I was at going, 13, at lock. Yes. But, but the problem is... Isaiah Yo's don't grow on trees. He could he easily plays through the middle, whether it be a hit up or whether it be um, just pl- keeping it tight with his tackles. But he's also a ball player. Like he doesn't grow on trees. And I thought Kikau, a slimmed down Kikau, Kikau might I say, has been was fa- fantastic for Penrith. I think without Kikau there, bodes well for the Bulldogs next year. Defensively as well, right? This isn't just because um, he scored tries. Defensively, I thought Kikau was his work rate was very high and really aggressive in defence. And I thought at times that stopped the the Dragons. Uh, I think sometimes the Dragons they, they played the field position game and sometimes counted against them because once, like you say, Embai, and that might have been the change in hooker. Once Embai came on. It gave him a little bit more directness out of dummy half. Threat from dummy half, right? Up until... I mean, Andrew McCulloch's tough and he's, he'll make he his is. tackles he's and all that player. sort of stuff. 
But no, he's not a great player anymore. He's just a bit not slow. He doesn't give them enough. I don't think he gives he, them He's enough. a game manager in a way now, right? Yeah. And um, I thought the Dragons were really good. And it, it was almost once they thought, you know what, we've got to try and score. Like the offload by Morlo and then the vision to give the early kick to Lomax and Lomax calling for the ball from Mumbai. You know, they nearly stole it. I thought the Dragons went with them. I don't think that Pen- Penrith was at their best. I thought they were a little bit off tempo-wise. But... The Dragons probably could have beaten them. And Lomax is no look pass, by the way. Magic stuff to create space for Ravalawa, who then... Second best pass of the over, weekend. Yeah, Second and best then pass unfortunately of the trips over himself, right? But And Ravalawa was fantastic, He's, by the he's way. had a great start as well. He had the hat-trick last week. He's had a great start. The problem for Panthers is Toho and James Fisher-Harris both sustained injuries. Toho's got a knee injury and James Fisher-Harris injured his shoulder. So Huge losses. Uh, huge just, losses, though. Huge losses. And Nathan Cleary's not back for another week either. If I'm a Dragons fan, I take that away and think, you know what, we played pretty well, could have won that game. Penrith weren't terrible. They weren't at their best. You know, you can see some improvement in Saints too, still. And I just think ultimately Saints didn't quite have enough in attack for Penrith's defense. I thought Penrith defensively were just a little bit too good and held them out long enough. But if I were a Dragons fan, I'd take a lot of heart out of that game. And I think there's more to come. And Amone didn't really have a great game or anything either. So, you know, he's young. He's going to be a little bit erratic. But if they put it together with a full-strength side, mate, they're, you know what? They're actually one of the better teams I've seen so far. Yeah, they've been, they've been really good. So let's see how they go. All right, let's move on to the next game on the Friday night, which was the Roosters versus Manly. The Roosters are back, baby. Yeah, this was disappointing from oh, a Manly perspective. Geez. It was a great start from the Roosters. Walker on the left stepped Ola Katawu and put Hutchinson over. Trent Robinson mixed his edges in response to last week. Walker, Momorowski and Tupanua moved to the left. Crichton, Kiri and Manu on the right. A few minutes later, the Roosters set play down the left, sent Tupu over to make it 10-0 after 10 minutes. Roosters went close to scoring another two tries down the left edge before Connor Watson put Nat Butcher over on that side again. So the manly right edge was the worst edge in the comp this round. They went at that deliberately. At oh, that yeah, middle, because they're terrible. middle to right edge. They just well, it's the them. right edge. It's DCE. It's that edge, right? Morgan Harper's had a terrible start to the season. On he the has. Edge. Yes. Uh, and he, he was really good defensively last year. Manly went close when DCE got into dummy half and put... He, he's, he's got that curving grubber that's fantastic. That was a great, how good was that kick? Oh, it was fantastic. from 20, 20, 25 metres away. Right? Yeah, and Tommy right Turbo knocked it on, right? And he, he, he has a, he's been really out of sorts as well. So a few minutes later, Tupanua went over after making a break to, to start it all off. The Manly right edge, my notes say they were atrocious, and that's giving them a compliment. Morgan, Morgan Harper has started the season poorly. It was 22-0 after 32 minutes, and at half time, it could have been more. In the first half, the Roosters had 67% possession and completed 22 out of 24 sets. Manly completed 9 out of 12 sets and made 204 tackles compared to the Roosters' 122. At halftime, the heavens opened up, which I think made it virtually impossible for Manly to come back because both sides needed to play wet-weather football. Eventually, Manly scored after a great run and a quick play of the ball by Dylan Walker, and Carl Lawton dived over from dummy half to make it 22-6 with 15 minutes into the second half. Manly had 74% possession in the first 20 minutes of the second half, and in that 20 minutes had more tackles inside the opposition top 20 than the Roosters had managed in 60 minutes. This is my point about teams attacking from deeper a la the Storm last year. What that stat is actually good for is to show how good now your attack is in the red zone. And Manly's attack in the red zone, not good. You've got also got to give credit to the Roosters' defence. It was superb. Connor Watson sustained a right shoulder injury with 15 minutes left in the second half. 
and it also looked like Joey Manu picked up a left knee injury. A few minutes later, another set play down their left, and Nat Butcher went over to ice the game. Manly have real problems on the right edge. It was 26-6 in the end. DCE got one for Manly with five minutes from full time to, to finish the scoring and make it 26-12. At least Manly won the second half, 12-4. Takiaho and Teddy were best for the Roosters, and Tommy Turbo was again shut down by one of the good teams. I mean, what do I say? I thought the Roosters were sensational. I thought they defensively were very aggressive. I think Manly didn't really get a look in. They had to play incredibly skillful football and chance their arm to even make any inroads, and they they didn't do that. And I just thought the Roosters attacked that right edge and that right middle, where Jake Trebojevic sometimes gets tired, right? Like, you see his stats and he makes 55 tackles, but he can't be at full intensity the whole 80 minutes, and they just kept on peppering that side, and they can't No, but, but Jake, Jake Trebojevic is playing... It's an old school thirteen role, right? He's almost like another prop. He's another prop. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not singling him out. Like it actually, and I think Manny's got a bit of a bit of a dilemma, right? So you know, against these good sides, we spoke about them. They've played two of what we would consider to be the premiership favourites, and they've looked not at that level. Both correct, games. correct. But this is Manly last year. Manly last year, they beat all the teams they should have and couldn't beat the better teams. And Tommy Turbo doesn't get a look in against these good defences, right? Sam Walker was aggressive, ran it hard, and was still kept some of instinctive football, which was great. It was great to watch. I love watching him play. Daniel Tupo had a great game, a little bit more space to operate with Jason Saab than he had last week with Dom Young. You know, I thought Connor Watson upped the tempo when he came on and started to run at Manly and create a little bit more danger out of dummy half. Their play, Victor Radley popping up in different areas of the field, the way they attacked that line, they were too good. And one of my favourite players in the whole competition, Tupanua, I thought was sensational. You know what I like about Satili Tupanua? He's... You know, he's on the fringe as a back rower, but if you look at him, he's more tall and rangy rather than these big, you know, powerhouse type of fringe runners. But he's so effective, right? He just takes the right lines, and I thought he was fantastic. He was. For Manly, um, T, here's a, here's a question for you. You've got Aluakatu, who whenever he ran the ball, creates a lot of danger. He, he challenges the defense. He's a powerhouse. Mate, when they were running at him at speed... He's terrible in defense. Him and DCE were... And Morgan Harper, that right edge was terrible. Yeah, like they were getting found out, stepped, leaving gaps. And it wasn't bad reads. It was actually, to me, yeah, what yeah. seemed like an, an inability to handle players that could step coming at them at pace. So what, what, what happens What happens when you've got one side? Like we, we experienced it with Para last year. So what you'll, what you'll find is to shore that up, he'll compress the line. Yeah, that's what typically happens. You compress the line so there's not as much gap between There's not the as defenders. much space, yeah. But yep. then teams can get around you. Remember that was happening to Para all the time during the mid-season? Yes, that's right. There was a period of time I remember that. And to be honest with you, you've got the same problem with Josh Adokar. Yeah, we do, Yeah, he had, he had more faith in his inside defenders at the Storm, so he'd hold his position a bit more. Now he's tucked in a lot more. And he doesn't trust it as he much. He doesn't trust yeah, his exactly. defenders inside Absolutely. him as much, right? So, you know what's funny? You notice this with the wingers because the wingers sometimes, when they're decisive, it's because they kind of know the pattern a lot of the time and they understand things where sometimes you see them get caught out between going in and out because they're not quite sure what the person next to them is doing a lot of the time, I think. But look, I thought the Roosters played at incredible tempos, 26-6 at half time. It could have been way more. I thought Manly were just way off. They're not way off the pace. They're just not quite at that level. It'll be interesting to see Manly play against what would be considered one of the weaker teams to see where they sit. I think they've they faced a big challenge both weeks. And I thought they played a fired-up Roosters who came at them with a lot of you know depth in their in their back line and, and numbers, and they struggled. 
Well, they're going to play one of the weaker teams this week. Yeah, and Penrith blew them off the park. So, do you know who they're playing this week? The the, the mighty Broncos. No, I th- I think you'll find it's the Bulldogs. Probably. So, yeah, I, I think Manly you just got to wait and see and see where they fit. But they've they've struggled to match two of the best teams. And the Roosters, good game, good Great game. game by a yeah. team that just were too good, too good on the day. All right. Let's move on to Super Saturday, which had two pretty good games and one shocker. Well, one, I mean, the Raiders didn't show up, but other than that, it was quite a good Super Saturday. First up was the Titans versus the Warriors. The Titans got away with this 28-18. to um, the, first thing I'll, the first point I'll make on this game is they had drinks breaks. Yeah, I know. At 20 minutes into each half, they had drinks break. But just before this game, the NRL women's played, and they played 35-minute halves without a drink drinks break, and they played in the midday sun. They don't need water. They're, they're okay. Like, what is this? I mean, come on. Isn't there meant to be, hey, it's hot, so all players get a drinks break? Like, what is going on in the NRL? Jesus I Christ. I don't know. AJ Brimson, what a start for the Titans. AJ Brimson made a break oh, yeah. in the first set, and the first run right up the middle of the ruck to, to, to send firmer over to make it 6-0, basically in the first minute. 15 minutes later, Greg Marju produced a fend of the season so far to make it 12-0. Five minutes later, Wade Egan targeted uh, actually Campbell from dummy half to crash over and make it 12-6 after 20 minutes. At this point, you're thinking, this could be another Titans game, right? 76 points scored. Um, yep. After Harris Tavita, at that point, Harris Tavita had a try um, denied. Another cutout, cutout pass caught out the Warriors' left edge and Greg Marju bagged a double to make it 16-6. So... Um, Nathan Brown has Marcel Montoya too compressed, is my notes here. Um, he, We just spoke about it. He's too compressed. They're getting around him. It happened last week against Para, and it happened this week um, from the Titans. And However, just on that, Marcelo Montoya isn't a speed demon, so if you get around him, it's hard for him to turn around and chase chase you down, right? That's right. Not that, well, with one, the faster right. player, right? But not but with it also, him. It also goes to show typical Warriors, right? Harris Tavita had a try denied. Oh, yeah. And then another court cut out part, like they conceded straight away, right? They just, they just need to muscle. They need to get into the grind of the game. And that happened a bit more in the second half. However, Marcel Montoya was able to get his revenge with the try over Marju with three minutes to go in the first half. Titans were out on their feet. Fitness is a real problem at the Titans. You called it last week. It, you can it, see it. And with one minute to go, Adam Pompey scored after Sammy made a meal of an Ash Taylor grubber. Um, after a Harris Tavita 40-20 to give the Warriors an 18-16 lead at halftime. It was actually a really good half of football with no defence played. This is, We talk about this all the time, but Super Jimmy Dimmick and Justin Holbrook, God, at times their team plays some good, good football. But they're rocks and diamonds. These teams are very close to each other because they're, rocks, they're both rocks and diamonds. You know what my notes on this body game is? Let's just rewind to 2021. The Titans looked like they were going to score 50, and then the Warriors looked like they weren't in the game. Then the Warriors decided to start passing the ball around, then scored three tries. And it's like, this was like a repeat for both teams of last year. Well, I mean, but the second half was a grind. The second half was more NRL standards, right? So the teams got into a grind in the first 20 minutes of the second half before Brimson sent a beautiful pass down the left that sent Sammy over, and the Titans regained the lead 20 to 18. And and that's the way it stayed. Um, You know, the. That's the actual way this finished. It was a tight, entertaining game where I thought the Warriors lacked a bit of polish. Um, one try in the second half was enough for the Titans. Um, I think both these teams have a lot to work on. The Titans were like this in the second half against Paro as well. They started defending in the second half. It's these starts that they're terrible in defence. 
and and they were cruising, and then with ten minutes to go in the first half, the Warriors get back into it and take the lead before half time. Yeah, this is exactly like last year. Remember, there were games where we said you don't know if they're going to score twenty or let in thirty, like score twenty and let in thirty. Or remember last year they had leads of like twenty four points and they were run down in twenty minutes. It's a real issue. The Titans really need to up their fitness levels. I think if their fitness levels improve, I think they can be quite a scary side. But they fall away. They can't keep that intensity of play. And then the second half, once they upped the tempo or had the energy to do that, they resulted in that try when they came at him. And Brinson looks back to his explosive best this year, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, he I was very last good. Year, yeah, he looked a lot faster and a lot more direct. He's looking good yeah, in the Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Jaden Campbell and him, they give the, the Titans a really good... Um, attacking duo that that can always threaten the defence. And like you called it last year, I think Toby Sexton's been an improvement on Jamal Fogarty, even though I like Jamal Fogarty. But Marju, you know, yeah, sure, his bicep can score tries because he's so big, but he got turned really easily. And he, you know, Marcelo Montoya got around him when they scored the try, the Warriors, with not much space. They created space when there shouldn't have even been space because they don't move um, laterally very well, the Titans, in defense, I don't think. And they rely heavily on Tino's motor to keep on going and shore up that middle of the ruck. It was a great game to watch because the ball was moving around a lot. There were some really good tries. Like you, I mean, I don't know. I, I thought... With the way the Titans' defence was, you would have thought the Warriors should have been good enough to take advantage of that and win that game. Um, and in the second half, they just didn't do it. It's like they tried to grind out a, a win. Not How can I say not aggressively try to win the game? They were trying to hope to win. It didn't take long for Ash Taylor to come in. No, it didn't. He's also brought his Titans fitness levels with him by the look of it too. <laughs> so, I mean, and the Warriors will take time. But Reese Walsh looked good in spurts and he gives them a little bit... Um, of that dynamism they missed in the first week. But, mate, you've got one of the, a good attacking weapon. You've got to, I don't think they use their players properly, the Warriors. I think they've got good players. They just don't use them properly. Like I, think Nate, I think Nathan Brown's role is safe because he's very close to the CEO. They're very good mates. I don't think, I don't think they've got a relationship like yours and mine. No, where I, I I'm know, always I'm I'm ridden with anxiety in case I'll get replaced next week by my cat. I would replace you at the drop of a hat, and after your okay. the care you've right. shown for my family, none of our listeners would would begrudge me that. Here's the thing with the Titans: it's like last year, T. Right? You watch it and you go, "Wow, that was a great game to watch." They won this week. They could have beaten the Eels last week. They could have been undefeated, but then you wouldn't be surprised if they lost both games. Well. I think they'll beat the Raiders this week as well. The Raiders were terrible this week. Anyway, let's move on to the next game of Super Saturday, which was the Sharks versus the Eels. The Sharks got this one 18-16. I was nervous about this game. The Sharks back at home for the first time in two years and had a sellout crowd. Yeah, quick question on this. Yeah. They fixed Sportsbet Stadium or whatever it's called, Shark Park, for two years, right? Points bet. Points bet. It looks exactly the same as it did before. They, I did it just notice has that. units behind it. I did notice like, that. I did notice that. Hang on, did they add a stand or something? And I'm literally scanning it thinking, shit, it doesn't look any different. I did notice what that. What did they do? Okay. I did notice All right. That. So it wasn't just me. No. They've even still got, what? What? Are, you know those fences they used to have at school, those yeah, silver... Yeah. Even that's still there. Well, we got to we got to um we got to actually go watch a game there. I think I think it's got to go. We will. It, it is like, cool to watch yeah. it, but yeah. All right. So um, great for the Sharks to be back home. Overall, I thought the Sharks deserved to win this. Um, they scored four tries to two. But if you were leading 16-12 with a couple of minutes left, you were probably entitled to think you should win the game. Agree with that. The para attack was poor, continuing on from the second half versus the Titans. And in defence, they missed 50 tackles. The right edge continues to be a problem, and that's where the Sharks got all their tries. And for Par- Although, on a positive, I did think Dylan Brown ran the ball a bit more, and Jun- Junior Polo was also good. And for the Sharks, Nico Hines showed what a great signing he was. 
The Sharks yeah. did lead 8-0 through two tries in the first half before Mitch Moses kick and chase, a little chip and chase before halftime led to the Eels scoring to make it 8-6. Um, they clearly targeted, Teague Wilton and a few others clearly targeted Mitch Moses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Benny Elias and the club have actually complained to the NRL. Some of it really did sail very close to the wind. A few bordering on, in the way the modern game is, cheap shots. A few cheap shots, late hits. They, they kind right. of went after him to throw him off his game. You could see it. And, and look, he didn't goal kick, right? Although Gutho did a good job with that. The Sharks led 8-6 at halftime. Connor Tracy scored after halftime. Yeah. Only, only goal kicking was keeping the Eels in the game. Nick That's Nick right, Lawrence, yeah. yeah. Before Reid Marnie locked up the scores, Gutho's kicking was very good. It was 12-all before two penalties extended the lead for Parramatta to 16-12. Teague Wilton won the game through a problematic Eels right edge in the last minute with a try, and Nico Hines after the siren potter, finally potted a field goal to win the game. Mitch Moses looked like he was injured in the first half, forcing Gutho to kick. Mulatalo pulled off a brilliant try-saving tackle on Simonson, but sustained a cut to his head that forced him off at halftime. I agree with... Brad Arthur, Para were a bit soft in this game. They didn't man up physically. If your halfback's getting bullied, what do you think Steve Roach and the Balmain pack would have done in the 80s? Well, Steve Roach would have got sent off. That's what would have happened. But they were a bit soft, right, in, in terms of standing up for their team. After the game, and this, oh God, I laughed when I read this. After the game, you know how they got the NRL, concu- uh, the yeah. COVID protocols? Yes. Toby Rudolph jumped the fence to celebrate with the fans. He celebrated with the fans at the stadium. Oh, good on him. And, and then because they've got such a tight biosecurity bubble, they didn't let ScoMo into the sheds after the game, even though Toby Rudolph <laughs> celebrated with the fans. I love the NRL. We don't want to ruin our, we don't want to ruin our bubble. You can't come in. Uh, we is don't that one hold of your, a vaccine. I'm is sorry. That, is that one of your players celebrating with the fans out there? Oh, God. It's... Um, it's <laughs> Watching it, it was all about ScoMo and the Sharks. So for those of you that don't know, ScoMo's a very recent rugby league fan. He actually follows East in the rugby, grew up in the eastern suburbs. Um, it's only since he won the seat of Cook that he's become all of a sudden, which because Cronulla is so popular down in the Shire. He's a massive Sharks fan. He's even singing Up Up Cronulla. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. But what about with the shaking of the hands to put off Gutho? It was a bit, all, all of this ridiculous, I thought. <laughs> it's, it's psychological warfare with Gutho. It's, um, look... I think it was great to see them back at Shark Park. That was one of the highlights, although, like we say, the low light was hit Shark Park. Looks like Shark Park from two years ago, except with apartments. I thought the first try to Mulatalo was fantastic. Great play by Hamlin Welly was really good, and I thought Tracy, it was good to have Connor Tracy back in the centres for them. I thought he gave him a lot of directness and good, speed out Good centre, isn't he? He is a very good centre. Underrated, a, underrated. Look, I thought Para, yeah, defensively weren't the best, but I also thought the Sharks played with some incredible depth sometimes, and they were running at full speed, and their, their passing was very smooth, and, you know, their moves were clinical. And they I thought were. that really that really troubled Para's defence, because you've got players coming at you at top speed. It's harder. You need to make the decision quicker. I don't think... I Look, our right edge was a problem, but... I, I, I don't I don't think our defense I don't think our defense was the problem I think no we, not at all I just I not just don't think we, we, we just couldn't score points we camped in their half in the second half and we couldn't do anything with it T I thought the sharks threw a lot at Parramatta and the fact that you know they kept it quite tight I thought was a testament to their defense actually I thought it was pretty good because I don't think the sharks were clunky in attack or anything I thought they attacked quite well the Simonson near try and that tackle both things were amazing it was an amazing tackle and actually amazing athleticism by Simonson to jump get hit and still get hold the ball and nearly put it down. And you saw Hines again floating around the field, almost like he was playing at Melbourne, but playing at halfback. He's got the third third most touches in the comp outside of a hooker 
at the moment. He's getting his involvements right through the roof. He's everywhere, and it's really making them hum quite well. And he, he misses the odd tackle. Him and um and and Brighton Nicora, I think that's a little bit of a weak spot for the Sharks and something to watch out for. But I thought the Sharks were really good, and Matt Moylan again looked pretty good, which I thought was great. And honestly, I thought Parra were going to get not thrashed, but they weren't in the game until Mitchell Moses magic. Like that's the Mitchell Moses right. I love seeing. You know, there's an opportunity, and, and this is why I I want Parra to play more like this because he saw that pulled off the chip, and then Gutho read it. He played the ball, and he was right there, and they just played off each other, and it, it was a fantastic try. Got them back in the game, and as you say, they seemed to grind their way back into the game and, and the lead, but really struggled to score. Once you're up 16-12. I'm like, yeah, I thought Parra's got this game. They've strangled it. They're going to win this game. And the Sharks scored right at the end. And They should have. They really should have. And the Sharks stole a win, right? Yeah, that's so right. even though they were the better team and probably deserved it. I think that's right. I think that's right. I think they did deserve it. I think they did deserve it. But once you're six, up 16-12 with a minute to go, you're probably entitled to think you should win it. Uh, absolutely. And I think it's still early days. I think Parramatta, if I were a Parra fan, I'd say, look, our defence is generally still quite solid. I've got to say, I'm no, not unhappy. And I'll tell you why. needs a bit of work. Because we start... Under Brad Arthur, he typically starts the team off like a house on fire. So I'm thinking he's learned from the last two seasons and he's going to do a bit of a Wayne Bennett. Time their run a bit better. There's some good signs, but I think the Sharks, they looked a lot better than they did last week as well. And it'll be interesting to see if they keep on improving because to me, I thought they looked pretty good and they challenged Parramatta's defence quite well. The Sharks looking looking decent. Well, it's going to be a win. great, great Thursday night game coming up. All right, let's... Let's move on to the last game of Super Saturday, which was the Cowboys versus Raiders. Um, Before I get into this game, Cowboys celebrated well Down Syndrome Day by bringing out kids with Down Syndrome and people with Down Syndrome before the game. That was fantastic. Well done, North Queensland Cowboys. Um, You celebrated the win 26-6. I don't know where the Raiders were. They were terrible. The Cowboys outmuscled an undermanned Raiders outfit with the Raiders missing Kotrick, Rapana, Hodgson, Harley Smith-Shields and Brad Schneider through COVID forcing Sticky to play Matt Frawley at number seven. It was the Raiders' third different halfback in three games. The Cowboys winger Tuolagi tiptoed down the sideline to score after Townsend and Dearden combined on the same side of the ruck to make it 6-0. Jack White and tried to arrest momentum back with a 40-20, but on the next set, Matt Frawley was intercepted by Peter Hiku. A couple of Valheim penalty goals made it 8-0 before Corey Harawir and Ira forced his way through four defenders to score and then popped the conversion to make it 8-6 at half time. Yeah, didn't know he kicks goals. Neither did yeah, I. Hey. Neither did I. The score flattered the Raiders. They were getting physically dominated. Um, E.g. Holmes and, for example, Holmes and Tuolagi forced errors from Adam Elliott and Frawley with some brutal hits in that first half. Um, but eventually the weight of possession told in the second half when the hammer outleapt Chan's nickel Klockstad off a Townsend bomb to make it 14-6. And Hudson Young was then sin-bin for a professional foul. And whilst the Raiders defensively, I thought, did well when they were down to 12, the Cowboys did score did run in two tries off kicks. The first to Kyle Felt um, off a Hiku grubber and then Nanai scored off a Tom Dearden bomb. Tamalolo was much better this game off 53 minutes and Townsend was absolutely great. I give him a hard time, but he was really great in this game off a really dominant forward pack and Dearden looked composed in the halves. Corey Harawiranaira was the Raiders' best along with Jack White and I think Jack White is really trying, um, but they were not at the races this game. What did you think of this one? Similar. I thought the Raiders defended quite well and the Cowboys kind of, you know, there's a little bit more involvement from Val Holmes this week, which I thought was excellent. I thought Tom Dearden ran at the line very well and attacked the Raiders. And I thought the Raiders held firm 
for most of the game. I mean, they scored three tries off kicks. Some of those were 50-50 sort of, you know, bounce of the ball type of kicks. So I think that sort of speaks to the Raiders' defense. And it needed a great try by Tuolangi with not much space to score and dive over in the corner to, you know, and that's one of the few tries I scored, one of the two tries I scored out of open play. So, mate, I thought the Raiders defended pretty well, but I just, I don't know, I just don't think they had much in attack to really challenge the Cowboys. So I thought they were just off. They got a lot of players of missing, right? They got a lot of players missing. They hung in. And eventually it was just, the, you know, the tide of possession was just coming with the Cowboys. And eventually they were going to score. But I, I don't know. I thought it was an okay game. I wouldn't say it was a high-quality game at all. It wasn't all. a high-quality game. Um, Todd Payton, it, it was good for him to get a, your doppelganger to get, get a win. Yeah, it was just a, it was a good win by the Cowboys. They did enough to win. But was I impressed by them? Not necessarily. And I thought the Raiders just, yeah, defense-wise, okay, but not enough to, to beat the Cowboys. But, you know, out of this game, like you said, I thought Corey Howard and Ira played pretty well. And I thought um, Nanai for the Cowboys, another impressive game for a young guy. He, you know, he's not perfect, but he he leaves an impact when you watch the games. Apparently, you though, he's a ripping it. bloke. If one of his mates gets COVID, he checks in on them, it's, it's, uh... asks about their well-being. So I thought he was actually fantastic. So, uh, look, a good win. You take it where you can, the Cowboys, and they could have been, you know, two from two so far. So, All right, let's move on to the Sunday night games. Um, first up was the Knights versus the Tigers. The Knights blew away the Tigers. Don't the Tigers have some problems? 26-4, to the Knights won this. Caelan Ponger and David Clemmer was ruled out before. Uh, it was a packed McDonald Jones Stadium, and naturally this was the Tigers' best chance to beat Newcastle in Newcastle and blew it. The Knights had the benefit of a strong win behind them in the first half, and the Tigers had a horrible start. Ken Momolo dropped a kick, and Jake Clifford scored down the right edge before Tyson Frizzell took an Adam Klum bomb to make it 12-0 after 10 minutes. Then North Luma went for a HIA, and James Roberts sustained a leg injury, hobbling the Tigers' right edge. James Roberts was really brave to play out the game. And yeah. the, the Tigers did well to hang on until Tyrone Peachy threw a loose pass that was regathered by Dane Gagai and the Knights piled on the pressure until Peachy gave away one too many penalties and he was binned. They potted the goal to make it 14-0 at halftime to the Knights. Ironically, at halftime, the Tigers would have been happy given the wind and the Knights' pressure. They kept them to 14 points um, and it was at least a two-try wind. However, they came out and they started the second half Brightly, like it was a two-try win. Um, but the Knights scored against the run of the play and then Norfa overread in defence and Clune sent Bradman Best over to make it 18-0. So that really killed the game, really, at that point. Their heads dropped. A short side play saw the Knights extend their lead through a try to Dom Young with, and it made it 22-0 with 20 minutes to go. And at this point, I think Newcastle kind of put the cue in the rack. Ken Momolo got a consolation try, but Tigers have conceded 10 tries in two weeks albeit against two top seven sides from last year. Clifford and Clune and Gagai have been great so far. Madge is in a bit of trouble, but I feel sorry for him because I don't think he's got troops there. That is not a good roster. It is not a good roster, but it is his roster, right? It's his roster in the sake that's the only players they could sign, though, G. Fair enough, right? But then that also says, why aren't people coming to the Tigers? Is it because of him? Here's the problem the Tigers have got now. Well done, Newcastle. Um, you look really good this year. Your halves, Mitch, letting Mitch Pearce go was the right thing to do, um, despite what the media says. And I, So well done for the Knights. Um, so you've got a big test coming up against a, a, an injury-hobbled Panthers, so that'll be an interesting game. But 
the Tigers, I don't think a coaching change is going to make a difference. Who's going to come in that's going to make... They don't have any cattle. I mean, like, I look at their team, right, and... I thought Jackson Hastings played... Jackson Hastings has been good, but he's carrying about five kilos too much. Can I just say the other thing is, Norfolk has been terrible for like three seasons now. So you've got Norfolk there. Um, I thought they need Jimmy Roberts to actually be Jimmy Roberts from well, five Jimmy, years J- ago. Jimmy Roberts was better, though. He was one of their better players. He was, but they need him from five years ago. But even then, I don't think they utilise what they've got that well. You know, mate, they, they hang in. I thought they had a dig, but the Knights were just ultimately too good. I thought Mitch Barnett playing as a prop, I thought did a really good job in the middle. Mitch Barnett's a good and, player, G. Yep. Yeah, but he's playing in the middle. I thought he gave him mobility and he was actually, you know, his typical tough Mitch Barnett game. I think the Kurt Mann experiment's working. Yeah, it is. I agree. It is. Because um, it gives him, you know, this tall, leith sort of athlete. I mean, he's not as good as Isaiah, obviously, but he gives him that. He can, he can promote the ball really fast and quick. It's another... Option like you, your attack gets less predictable because you've got Kurt Mann, Adam Clune, and Jake Clifford that could all handle the ball and play, mate. That's right. And I thought Adam Clune again steered the team around the park. I thought he was quite good. And the ball that he gave to Bradman Best was fantastic on the fifth tackle. And they, they read some of the plays where the Tigers dropping wingers back and then attacked them on the fifth tackle a couple of times and scored. You know, and that's with Ponger out as well. I thought Tex Hoy played really well too for them. You can't read too much into teams playing the Tigers though. But yeah, I thought the Knights, again, this game looked expansive with the footy and played some good football, which is a very different, you know, style of play to last year. I thought, you know, Clifford, with a, he's kicking the first half, kick and chase. I was wrong about the Knights. They're, they've, he's fixed their attack in the He's season. fixed their attack and they're playing good football. They're, they're throwing the ball around a little bit. They're following each other up. They're offloading. And what I notice is when they're offloading, they're playing off that and attacking immediately. They're not going, oh, we've got an offload. Let's make an extra 10 metres and take a tackle. So like you, I think maybe we've underestimated them a little bit. And for the Tigers, I think they got toilers and they tried hard. Like I thought Alex Tawall tried his guts out. I think Jake Simpkins, a decent hooker. They don't have any players, G. Yeah, Hastings played well, but they were still way off the pace. And that's concerning for me. I, I, I can't look at the Tigers and say, by maybe a couple of plays, that they were terrible. Oh, can I say something controversial? They just, I'm not, they're just not good enough. I'm not even sure Luke Brooks is a first grader anymore. We'll, we'll see. Maybe not. Maybe his confidence is just shot now and he's done. But but you know what I mean, T? Like, I can't look at any of the plays and go, oh, geez, that person had a terrible game. They just, they toiled, but it's just ultimately, they're just they not don't have at any that level. They don't. So they don't have any I think that's not a good sign for the Tigers. Well, we did pick them to finish last. Good, good win for the Knights. They're looking, they're looking good so far. All right. Let's move on to, I thought this was a great game, actually. The last game of the round. I did, I did the Bulldogs versus the Broncos. The both teams have improved, right? The Broncos got the 16-10, but you guys absolutely bombed. Four or five tries out there during the game. Um, the Bulldogs opened the scoring 10 minutes in when Tessie New dropped a Matt Burton bomb. And Matt Burton's kicks were unbelievable during this I game. I think our greatest attacking weapon is Matt Burton's kicks from 30 metres out. From oh, you and Action. Action wasn't happy with the attack either. But you did bomb a lot of tries. So you can't really put that down to Trent Barrett. And Braden Burns got Coates going backwards um, for that try after Tessie New dropped the Matt Burton bomb. Um, Braden Burns has been quite good and very. Uh, what he's done is he's shored up that side of the defence other than Ockenbaugh, but in the centre position, he's been defensively quite solid. Now, what Matt Burton's not great at is goal kicking, so it was only 4-0. Um, 
The Dogs really targeted the Broncos' left edge through Matt Dufty making the extra man. Unfortunately, defensively, there are problems on that side in defence, and Albert Kelly put a delicate chip over Ockenbore, who didn't have a great game. Mate, that was... A fantastic. It was. It was. And Corey Oates. It was right in Corey Oates's lap. Perfectly placed. Banana. Just. It was almost just a deft chip over the winger, straight to the guy's hands. It was. That was a brilliant kick. But Ockenball got caught out out of position a few times. Many times, and he's lost confidence in his pace as well in keeping up with some of the players. I just wonder if he's not a winger. Oh, Herbie he's Farnworth not. killed him in the second half. Anyway, yeah. we'll get to it. Anyway, that was that was Corey. That was that was Corey Oates's hundredth try. For the Broncos. Wow, far out. Yeah, he's been around for a while. And part of some dominant teams too. Yeah, he has been. I was going to say, like, we talked about Ockenball. There was a point in the second half where he could see the attack coming at him. And because his turning circle was quite slow, he'd already started to turn and run without even really looking at the play. Because I think mentally he's trying to get himself in a position to make a play because he just... Like you say, I don't think he's a winger. He doesn't have... I don't think he's a winger. The That's speed the speed and the explosiveness yeah, yeah. out there. It's I don't just, think he's a winger. Yeah, it's not... His, no, I agree with if you. They, if they can put five kilos on him, he might be an edge second rower. Yeah, probably. I would say so. Anyway, the Broncos have some major defense deficiencies for mine, some things I, I observed. The wingers and fullbacks are really unreliable in defense, and they are terrible under that high ball from Matt Burton. Um, they must have dropped four or five bombs off him. There was a lot, to the point where they stopped trying to catch them. That's right. And and can, the other thing is Jake Turpin's service out of dummy half, not great. Um, I don't think Adam Reynolds had a great game, but I think some of the service he got was really poor. It wasn't like Damian Cook's service. He was getting it high, he was getting it low. So it was taking a split second away from him. Yeah, I thought Billy Walters did a good job when he went into hooker. I agree with that. But by the same token, I love Staggs and Herbie. I think they're fantastic. They, oh, yeah. They're fantastic. What a centre pairing. What a centre pairing, right? They are really good. Staggs was Mr. Angry, I'll tell you what. Well, and you should have fucking put that try over the line. That was the best. There was, oh, that. And then also Tavita Pan. What was with Tavita Panguai Jr. trying to kill everybody in the field for the first five minutes? Well, he's playing against his old club. I know, Jim. but he literally tried to injure all the whole team. <laughs> Just he's popping up on every side of the field. He's changed. He's changed. All oh right. God. So look, the Bulldogs did put a lot of pressure on the Broncos. They just dropped too much ball. Um, the Broncos and Matt Burton's kicking game was superb, but it was only four all at half time, and you really didn't convert all that field position into points, right? <laughs> and that's the problem, right? If you got sixty percent of possession, you barely drop the ball. You should be scoring more than two tries. But you bombed a few, right? So early in the second half, Jeremy Marshall King, who who ran a lot more, right? He was in his mood, one of those moods. There was two players for the Dogs that had their best game that I've seen them play. I thought Jeremy Marshall King was superb, and we would have struggled without him. And he ran the ball. Corey, yeah, Corey Waddell was good had his, as well. probably his best game for us ever. Yeah, and, and, and Jeremy Marshall King did catch the Broncos markers napping to score to make yeah. it 10-4. Almost immediately, though, Herbie one-on-one stripped Braden Burns and ran 40 metres to score to make it 10-all, like straight away. Yeah. Adam Reynolds then gave the greatest try assist in history, like a centre in the NFL, through the legs, snapped the ball, only for Katoni Staggs to bomb it by losing it while trying to ground the ball. I was watching that just thinking, oh my God, like what a play, but God, far out. And then I didn't even notice he dropped the ball. But you know why they were able to score that? Because... No one was paying attention? No. Josh Adokar was too far in. And Adam Reynolds got interviewed after the game, and he said we'd noticed he, he doesn't trust his inside defense, so he's too tight. Very interesting comment. 
Very yeah. interesting comment. Yeah. So he doesn't trust his inside defence, so he's in too tight, so the ball goes bang straight out, right? He trusted Justin Olam, that's for sure. Well, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. Yeah, so... But it didn't matter because Herbie Farnworth then made Jaden Ockenball look like a 12-year-old as he sprinted past him to score down the left to make it 16-10. The Bulldogs' offloads killed the Broncos, but they just couldn't score. Both teams were out on their feet at the end. Great game. Herbie Farnworth and Matt Burton were the best on the ground for me, but it's one that got away for the Bron- for the Bulldogs for me. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that... It was exciting, and look, in fe- I, I've hammered everybody, um, Trent ever. Barrett and everybody. They did play a little bit differently in attack to last week and also to the, some of the trials, so fair play to the coaches. There's some adjustments happening there, right? But watching that game, you have that much possession. You've got Addo Carr, you've got Matt Dufty, you've got, you know, Brett Naden, who's Braden Burns, he's directing. Mate, you've got to score more than two tries. That's just not good enough. But you bombed a few. But did we really? What about Katoni Staggs is held up when he held the Bulldogs player up over the like you oh, did? That was you a, got a, a great tackle. Held up Matt Burden. You got over the line a few times. You play that. You play that game ten times. You guys win seven or eight times. If that game, I suppose. See what the concerning part for that is. Is we think the Broncos are probably not a top eight side, right? So we dominated possession. They're not a top eight side, right? We lost, and they barely had the ball. But when they had the ball, they looked infinitely more dangerous than we did. So, if there was a fair possession count on in that game, what's the score? What twenty six to twelve? You know what I mean? But there's some positive signs there. Like I said, Jeremy Marshall King, I loved his aggressiveness. It makes him a far better player. And Waddell had his best game, like I said. And Josh King's been a... Is it Josh King? Well, Jake King's been a good pickup from the Storm. He's kind of a little nuggety, you know, hard worker in the middle of the ruck who's got a fair bit of agility. So, um, but ultimately, we just didn't have enough in attack. We're too flat at the moment. And a lot of sideways ball without anybody actually taking on the line, which cramped the the space for the outside wingers. Um, but for me, Burton, the more I see him, the, if you really watch him closely... He's a centre. He's more a centre, but God, that guy can read the game and just... God, he's, he's got a boot on him. That's actually phenomenal, to be honest. Yeah, but that you know what the, you know what I see when I see that? I see really slow marker defence because they didn't get out to shut it. He had, he had all the time in the world. He takes a bit of time yeah. to wind up, right? Yeah. But, I think a bit of a concern for me as a Dogs fan is, you know, you got out of a car, he barely has any space to operate. And there was also a time where he did the Melbourne thing and looked for his inside player to offload. And the inside player was Corey Waddell, not a Matt Dufty or a, you know, as a, in terms of a Pappenheisen, whoever you used to play past to before. But the Broncos, mate, fair play to them. Defensively at times I look shaky, but the Dogs dominated possession and they only scored 10 points. And some of the defense was quite desperate. And I think they've got something to build on. I thought they looked a bit better when Walters came on at dummy half and started running out of there. I thought it gave them a little bit more momentum. And Payne Haas, like always, absolute oh, workhorse. He's just superb. And um, Patrick Carrigan, I thought, did quite was well. was great too. I agree. And Jordan Ricky gives them a little bit of rangy athleticism on the on the fringe, which which helps their game. But some of their centres, Farnworth, Stags, mate, they're coming along. I, and ultimately, they just had a little bit too much speed and and pace out wide for us really and um yeah i mean it's we're, we've got a tough run now you do have a so, tough run uh, so i'm a bit worried about you could what be the one and six like. yeah you yeah. could be one and so or one and one and five if you can't score against brisbane you can score 10 points dominating possession field position and the ball how are you going to score against the roosters and the storm and you know teams like that so a lot of work to do some positive signs but hey we're not losing 40 to, to 10 like last year so but good win for the Bronx. All right. Good win for the Bronx. All right. Let's move on to a preview of week three of the 2022 NRL season. 
Um, first up in another monster pod is um, Thursday night game. This is going to be a great game between Saints and the Sharks. Both teams are playing well. It is at Cogra. Saints, the outsiders here, they were they're two dollars fifteen. They were two dollars thirty five yesterday, so they've come right in. The Sharks are a dollar seventy one favourites, and Saints have two and a half points start. I actually think Saints are going to get this. Ooh. This is a very, very, very hard game to pick. I was really impressed by the Sharks. I think they're one of the teams that's probably impressed me more than I would have thought so far. I mean, it's only two rounds, but the way they're playing and the the, the way their fitness looks as well. I thought Hines and Kennedy really combined a lot better this week, and I'm expecting better this uh, again against the Dragons. But the Dragons have been really solid as well. I This is a pick for me. I honestly have no idea... We're two rounds in. We're two rounds in, and you're already running third last in our tipping comp. So don't listen to me, anybody who's listening. Don't pick anyone I pick. I'm going to tip the Sharks just because I think they've got a little bit more razzle-dazzle in attack at the moment, and the Dragons are still working that part out. So I'm tipping the Sharks in a very close game. All right, let's move on to the Friday night games. First up, we've got the game of the round, the Tigers versus the Warriors. Um Tigers are $2.10 outsiders. Warriors are $1.74 favourites. The Tigers have one and a half points start. Who's going to get this one, G? There's a lot of tough There's a lot of tough games to call this. This, this is round. one of these games where if the Tigers won this, I would not be surprised because the Warriors kind of grind out wins. So it's going to keep the Tigers hanging around. And I think the way the Tigers toil, like they do work hard. And that's been an improvement this year. So... I think it'll keep it close and, you know, a bit of a bounce of a ball, they could win this game. But the way they were against the Knights, I felt like they tried and they just weren't up to speed. And I think the Warriors will beat them in this game. So I'm tipping the Warriors. I'm tipping the Tigers. Wow. Okay. I'm tipping the Warriors and I'm also starting to bring back um, Cody Nikorima webpage or podcast. Well, he's very much out of favour. He is. If you're losing to Ash Taylor... Who Titans Fitness Ash Taylor? Um, Cody might be time to start looking around elsewhere. I think that's right. All right, the grudge match: Latrell versus Joey Manu, back for the game of the round probably, which is Souths versus East on Friday night. Souths are two dollars thirty-five outsiders. Easts are a dollar sixty favourites. Souths have three and a half points start. I think Easts are going to get this. I think they're going to be very motivated. And Souths for sixty-five minutes haven't been for a game in sixty-five minutes haven't been playing well. I think this is no contest. I think Souths will improve a little bit because the Alex Johnson, Cody Walker stuff will, will again improve and Latrell's back. But, mate, the Roosters play at a tempo that Souths haven't been able to match the first two rounds. And I thought last week, the first half, the Roosters were really impressive against Manly and played at a good speed. And I just think they'll be too good. I can't see the Rabbitohs winning this at all. We're, we're agreed on that. So if we move on to the Saturday, Super Saturday games... First up, what should be a cracking game, is the Panthers versus the Knights. Panthers won't have James Fisher-Harris, Nathan Cleary, or Brian Toa versus a red-hot Knights team. The Panthers are $1.20 favourites. Knights are $4.50 outsiders and 12.5 points start. I would put 10 bucks on I was ab- the Knights. Oh, okay. I, I think I the Knights are going to win this. Say, I was about to say, if you were bet like as a pick, you probably usually in a tipping comp might pick the Panthers. If you were betting, I absolutely would put money on the Knights. I, if Pong is back too this week, I just think I've been really impressed by the way they're playing footy. And I think defensively they do hang in, and we've spoken about this before. The Knights do work hard. So I don't know if the Panthers are going to blow them off the park. And with their injuries as well, I think they'll be um, subdued a little bit. 
And I think the Knights are playing T enough good footy and throwing the ball around there. I think they're actually going to beat the Panthers this week. I'm tipping, I think, I'm, I'm the, tipping the, Knights. the Knights as well. I'm tipping the Knights yeah. as well. Clune and Clifford both run the ball. They attack the line. Dom Young defensively is a lot better this year and he's dynamic on the wing. Mate, they're going to be hard to beat the Knights. I, yeah, I, I, this is this is an, uh, considered an upset tipping-wise, but I think they're, they're a real good shout for this. Yeah, I've got the Knights hitting this one as well. I can't believe we're both agreeing on that. So get on the Panthers. I've just put 10 yeah, bucks at $4.50. Yeah, hey, if I'm picking the bloody Knights, tip the Panthers. Trust yeah, me. I've, I've, just put, I've just put 10 bucks on the Knights at $4.50. All right. Second last game, no second game of Super Saturday is the Storm versus the Eels. Ooh, we ne- okay. we never we never win in Melbourne against Melbourne except last year. Storm are a dollar thirty nine favourites. Eels are three dollars outsiders. Eels have seven and a half point start. I'm an Eels supporter. I'm going to say the Eels, but my head says the Storm. I actually think this is a far harder game to pick than you think. I think the Storm were too good with Harry Grant and Pappenheisen and Coates against. South, but I think Eels, the Eels defensively generally have been fairly impressive the first two games, generally. I think the Eels will turn this on. I'm actually going to tip the Eels. I think the Eels are going to beat them, even though I think the Storm are one of the favourites. I just think... I, I don't know if the Storm are going to dominate the Eels in attack the way they have in the past, and I think the Eels might, might get them. I'm tipping... Yeah, I'll tip the Eels this week. All right, brilliant. My head says the Storm. All right, let's That means the Storm by 30. <laughs> so... We we don't we don't we usually don't play well in Melbourne. We did last year, but we don't usually play well in Melbourne. Last game of Super Saturday is the Raiders versus the Titans. Raiders are a dollar seventy seven favourites. I don't know why. The Titans are two dollars five outsiders. The Titans have two and a half points start. That's another one I would get on the Titans. I'm, I'm tipping the tip Titans the, anyway. I'm I'm tipping the Titans. I think you know this is one of those games where the Titans have a poor defense but I don't know if the Raiders necessarily have a great attack that's going to punch holes in their defense and I I think the Titans with Jaden Campbell and a rejuvenated Brimson I just think they'll be a little bit have a little bit too much firepower for the Raiders and you know what the Raiders have some heavy forwards as well and they're not a bad matchup for the Titans fitness wise like they've got some big units as well that need a break and I don't think I think the Titans will be able to handle them in the middle too so I'm tipping the Titans all right let's move on to the Sunday game the Broncos coming off two wins back to back for the first time in a few years. They're a dollar sixty favourites against the Cowboys at Suncorp, who are two dollars thirty five outsiders. The Cowboys have four and a half points start. I think the Broncos are going to win this. I haven't been impressed by the Cowboys so far. They've won a the game and and probably should have beaten the Bulldogs as well. But I'm I just think the Broncos will be a little bit too good for the Cowboys to be honest. I think where the Cowboys have strengths, like they've got a, a, a nanoi on the fringe. The, Cow- the Broncos generally can match up with them quite well. And, and I think the Broncos, you know, another round with Adam Reynolds, a little bit more familiar with each other. I, I think they'll be a little bit too strong. And the only X factor is really if v- Val Holmes and the Hammer need to have amazing games for the Cowboys to beat the Broncos. And I don't know if that's going to happen. All right. The last game of the round is, of course, the blockbuster between Manly and the yeah, Bulldogs. Huge, huge, massive. Uh, it's- both these teams are coming off losses. Manly are worse loss than the Bulldogs. Manly are $1.28 favourites. The Bulldogs are $3.75 outsiders. I've got Manly because they... And, and the Bulldogs have 11.5 points start. Manly do dispatch teams they're meant to dispatch. So I'm relying on that in tipping Manly. I think that's a good way to look at things. Like, I, I think the Seagulls... I don't know if we're going to stop uh, a Tom Trebojevic and a Jason Saab, for example. Jason Saab's matched up against... No, he's not matched up against Ockhambor, luckily. But, you know, if you've got, um, 
I just think, like you say, they'll match us. And I think where they've got power, Oluwakatu, we don't have the speed of attack to, to get DCE and Oluwakatu in space defensively to to open up the gaps there. And I, I just think the Seagulls will be have a little bit too much firepower. I'm expecting Tommy Turbo to um, get the turbo started this week. First week, that'll really be out of the garage, I think. All so right. I'm tipping the Seagulls. Same. All right, well, that brings us to the close of another NRL GNT show, GNT NRL show. It's been another mammoth pod. Uh, good luck editing this and getting it out before the Thursday night game, G. Um, Thanks. And, I appreciate and, uh, it. I'll let you get back to your meditation. <laughs> See you next week, T. See you, Get bye. well. Speak to you soon.